Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. Testament comes from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. We'll read here today that the religious leaders sent some investigators from their headquarters in Jerusalem to check up on Jesus. The delegation didn't like what they found, however, 
because Jesus scolded them for keeping the law and the traditions in order to look holy instead of to actually honor God. The prophet Isaiah accused the religious leaders of his day of doing the same thing back in his book, in the book of Isaiah. Jesus used Isaiah's words to accuse these men. Mark explained these Jewish rituals because he was writing to a non-Jewish audience. Before each meal, devout Jews performed a short ceremony, washing their hands and arms in a specific way. The disciples did not have dirty hands, but they were simply not carrying out this traditional cleansing. The Pharisees thought this ceremony cleansed them from any contact they might have had with anything considered unclean. Jesus said they were wrong in thinking they were acceptable to God just because they were clean on the outside. Christians become like Pharisees when they worry that contact with unbelievers may leave them tainted, avoiding worldly places where sinners hang out or rejecting books or speakers whose ideas do not conform to theirs. Some Christians and some Pharisees have a lot in common. Both would try to stop Jesus from working certain places or talking to certain people. Jesus wants us to go out into the world and make contact. Jesus didn't intend for us to withdraw, purify ourselves, and never reach out. All right, let's read more about it now here in the New Testament. February 24th, the New Testament, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. 
By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. This song is a crying out of the heart to the Lord, asking God not to hold back His love, His tender mercies. This is an appeal to God's unfailing love. This psalm comes from a heart that knows God. It's also a psalm that confesses that all is not going well. It's kind of a kick in the teeth to the whole power positive thinking movement because we do have troubles and when they come, we need to cry out to the Lord, not pretend that everything's all right. And then it's also a confession of sins that just pile up on us. And when sin does that, it weighs us down to the point where we actually lose our courage. And then we need to be rescued. And this psalm, of course, is a cry from the heart to the Lord. God, please come and rescue me. It's a confession that Lord, I know I've done wrong, I know I live in a wicked world, and I know I'm totally incapable of undoing the wrongs that I've committed. Lord, unless you rescue me, I'm toast, I'm in major trouble. So much of Christianity these days is all about us putting our best foot forward, trying to convince God and everybody else around us, and even ourselves at times, how good we can be. Well, God knows better. He knows that as we go through the world, we're going to pick up sin. Sin is going to be committed against us, or we're going to commit sin against others, and we need the Lord's help. And uh, there is a much deeper word for that help, and that word is rescue. Please, Lord, come and rescue me. Don't forget me. I need your tender mercies, your caring love. Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha! We've got him now! But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my Savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. Proverbs chapter 10 Verses 13 and 14. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of a fool invites disaster.
comes out of experiencing God. It's uh, called What You Do Reveals What You Believe About God, Regardless of What You Say. When God speaks to a person, revealing his plans and purpose, it will always cause a crisis of belief. What you do reveals what you believe about God, regardless of what you say. When God reveals what he is purposing to do, you face a crisis of belief, a decision time. God in the world can tell from your response what you really believe about God. Your trust in God will determine what you do and how you live. In 1 Samuel 16:12 and 13, God chose David 
and had Samuel anoint him to become the next king over Israel. In 1 Samuel 17, God brought David into the middle of his activity. While Saul was still the king, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. Still a young boy, David was sent by his father to visit his brothers in the army. When David arrived, Goliath, a giant soldier, nine feet tall, challenged Israel to send one man to fight him. The losing nation would become the slaves of the winner. Israel's army was terrified. David asked in amazement, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David faced a crisis of belief. He may have realized that God had brought him to the battlefield and had prepared him for this assignment. David said he would fight this giant. He stated his belief. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David refused to take the normal weapons of war. Instead, he chose a sling and five smooth stones. He said to, to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David killed Goliath, and Israel went on to victory. David's statements indicate that he believed God was a living God and a deliverer. He said God was almighty and would defend Israel's armies. David's actions verified that he really believed these things about God. Many thought David was a foolish young boy, and even Goliath laughed at him. However, God delivered the Israelites. He gave a mighty victory through David so the world would know there was a God in Israel. God called Abram and promised to make his offspring as numerous as the stars. Abram questioned God about this promise since he remained childless in his old age. God reaffirmed, A son coming from your own body will be your heir. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram's wife, Sarai, was in her mid-seventies at this time. Knowing she was past childbearing years, she decided she would have to build a family in a different way. She gave her maid to Abram as a wife and asked for a child through her. Ishmael was born to Hagar a year later. Sarai's actions indicated what she believed about God. Sarai's actions revealed what she really believed about God. She did not have the faith to believe God could do the impossible and give her a child in her old age. Her belief about God was limited, to her, limited by her human reason. This act of unbelief was extremely costly. Ishmael caused Abram and Sarai much grief in their old age. Ishmael and his descendants have lived in hostility toward Isaac and his descendants from that time until today. What you do in response to God's invitation clearly indicates what you really believe about God. Unbelief is extremely costly.
This is Jacob Stewart. Um, I'm 23 years old. I'm from Waverly, Ohio. Um, I came to the refuge October 12th, 2015, and uh, it was definitely one of the best decisions I've made by far. Um, when I was down in Vinton County, uh, it was a struggle the first couple weeks I was down there, but uh, you know, we pressed in, and you know, I got things done. I moved on to the second phase, and my goal really was just to do 30 days and leave. But once I got to that 30-day, you know, marker, I realized this is, you know, this is where I needed to be. I needed to do the second. I needed to go to second phase and really just build that relationship with God that I didn't get before. Because uh, this is my second time around. I came through um, March 26, 2013. I completed April 30th, 2014, and everything that I learned, I basically uh, just threw it all down the drain, and just didn't do anything with it just went right back to the same old thing and you know I got up here now moving on the third phase I realized this is you know this is good things there's a lot more opportunity this time around and you know I'm just looking forward to being up here thanks hey good morning this is Mark Wallace I'm transferring up from second to third and I just want to say how blessed I am to found the refuge to found all the brothers all the coordinators the pastors and I want to give a big prop to all the guys in first phase. Keep your head up. Keep pressing in. And uh, God will show you the way. And I'm looking forward to uh, continue my walk in the third phase. God bless everyone. Good day. Well, I'm tired and so weary. But I must go along Till the Lord comes and calls me away where the morning is bright and the lamb is the light and the night night is as fair as the day there will be peace in the valley for me be no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble I see. There will be peace in the valley for me. Well, the flowers will be blooming and the grass will be and the skies will be clear and serene Where the sun ever beams In this valley of dreams And no clouds there will ever be seen There will be peace in the be no sadness, no sorrow, no trouble I see. 
There will be peace in the valley for me. Well, the bear will be gentle, and the wolf will be tame, and the lion shall lay down by the lamb, and the beast from the wild shall be led by a child. And I'll be changed, changed from this creature that I am. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. There will be peace in the valley for me, oh Lord, I pray. There'll be no sadness. No sorrow, no trouble. I see there will be peace in the valley for me. This concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.